Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit CARON.org slash lost. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. You and Betty and the Nancys and Bills and Joes and Janes will find in the study of science a richer, more rewarding life. Hello and welcome to Inquiring Minds. I'm Adam Bristol. Indre is off this week. This is a podcast that explores the space where science and society collide. We want to find out what's true, what's left to discover, and why it matters. I'm willing to bet that most of you, like me, don't give a lot of thought to your toilets, unless something goes wrong. But if you think about it, efficient sanitation systems at scale have been instrumental in improving human health and developing working and growing communities around the world. As we confront an uncertain future in the face of global warming, we'll certainly need to innovate and adopt new sanitation technologies to prevent widespread water scarcity. To explore these issues, I spoke with Jay Bogwan from the Water Research Commission in Pretoria, South Africa. Jay has decades of experience working on sustainable water systems, so he understands the benefit and limitations of our current infrastructure. Jay has also been involved in developing novel low-flush toilets, developing strategies to treat human waste at the source, and in designing more circular systems that have been deployed in pilot areas in Asia and South Africa. Jay, welcome to Inquiring Minds. It's a pleasure to be here, Adam. Thank you for the privilege. So let's start first with a little of your background. How I first came to you was some of the work you've been doing on low-flush toilets, which I want to speak about in just a few minutes, but let's take a step back for a minute. Could you... Help me understand, why are modern Western-style sanitation systems designed the way they are? Why do we underutilize gray water? Or put another way, why do we use treated, purified, fresh water for things like our human waste? So, you know, we, we come from a history that, uh, you know, offered the advantages of uh, huge technology uh, leapfrogging, you know, in the early years of the Victorian times where, uh, you know, with the kind of pandemics uh, and the epidemics that we dealt with uh, around waterborne diseases, the bubonic plagues, etc., uh, you know, resulted us in, in, in uh, you know, developing new sanitation systems. So the Victorian solution and, and the convenience uh, 
uh, was you know a huge health intervention at that time uh, of of significant magnitude when water was plentiful okay and pollution wasn't an issue uh, and that became the mainstay uh, technology where we found that we could transport human waste where we could transport first lots of water to a, a settlement or a household and then we could transport a lot of that wastewater generated in the in that environment very cheaply okay away from those settlements okay and that became the practice until we reached a point where the pollution started to become a problem okay and and because we return a lot of water back into the environment we then have to also uh, look at you know what we take back out downstream so the whole game change around very advanced wastewater treatment systems and drinking water treatment systems to ensure that we continuously provide healthy water for human consumption but also healthy water back into the environment and that has been the challenge of the modern water industry and it is uh, you know continued to grow in innovation uh, over the years pushing the boundaries of new innovation and pathways but the nexus keeps growing you know the nexus of water energy and and pollution continues to become a greater challenge and that means that we have to start rethinking the whole aspect of this nexus into the future on the back of climate variability uh, climate change but also the consequences that's going to be leading from it in terms of our own modernization as a human population from the amount of contaminants that we are generating through our consumption of a variety of food and chemical products that are becoming a huge challenge uh, downstream and in the system as well as the broader environment right and so we have inherited now 150 years or so of sanitation systems and infrastructure that any changes would largely be retrofitted on those existing systems, which seems to me would be a unique set of challenges to a poorer or rural area, which maybe has very limited infrastructure to start with. Maybe talk about, I guess, some of the uh, opportunity space with those two different settings. So, so the developed world, you know, had a head start uh, in in terms of uh, uh, focusing and investing in the infrastructure build. Okay, so they used the pathway to ensure uniform levels of service to all its population. Okay, I think the developed world was still not there in terms of catching up with the industrialization processes and the broader economy. So they had a late start, but getting into the economic space uh, and 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 trying to grow afforded many, many challenges in terms of infrastructure, the state of where the nations were. So it becomes a little bit more challenging from a financial and a huge logistics perspective to try to cover the developing world rapidly with water and sanitation services 
of the kind that the developed world has taken close to 200 years in developing in developing such systems, uh, it becomes a huge challenge to achieve that in developing countries in a very, very short space of time. And this against several constraints of political instability, uh, you know, poor governance, uh, lack of fiscal uh, support, uh, and, and generally a lack of investment and financial support in, in these areas. And, and those constraints put a lot of burden on fast-tracking uh, you know, water and sanitation services in the developing world. So let's talk about some of those innovations. You have worked, uh, how I first uh, came across your work was through your low-flush toilet system, a system which, when I started to learn more about it, is significantly more efficient than what we would consider low flush in sort of our, you know, industrialized lives today. But so talk about some of the work you've done, I guess, treating wastewater at the source or some of the technologies that you've been working with with WRC, and then we can even take that even more broader to other uh, avenues of research that are outside of the Water Research Commission. So, you know, the, the advantage and the privilege I sit at, at the WRC and the institution itself is to have a very forward-looking approach around, you know, trying to predict what would be the next big water challenge. And against it, try to disrupt the space to come up with solutions that would mitigate these kind of future challenges. So when you look at sanitation, you know, and, and we talk about sewage, whichever way you describe it, uh, the modern sanitation system, on average, consume anything between 30 to 50 percent of water, fresh water, treated water, you know, highly uh, uh, invested water in chemicals and energy. Okay, and and 50 percent of that fresh water that we treat, we actually flush away uh, with our human waste and and create a pollutant, and then we spend lots more money trying to get rid of that pollutant and make it safe to put back in the water environment so that, you know, with the next person or you yourself can start reusing this through the process. So, you know, like I said that the opportunity in the earlier years was, you know, quite easier because, you know, water wasn't priced and wasn't valued. It was plentiful. Uh, you know, it could uh, spread across many peoples, etc. But as cities are beginning to grow, and as we're getting into mega cities, the levels of stress on the back of climate change is becoming a huge issue. You know, we had California, we've had Chennai, we had in South Africa Cape Town, and and while we we speak, we have another nine major cities and towns in South Africa really at more serious situations than what Cape Town is, was in. So, you know, looking at that trajectory at the Water Research Commission, we felt that, you know, in the domestic uh, water environment, the biggest disruption we could drive is that of sanitation. You know, that it's 200 grams of feces, which is a carbon, which is a nutrient, uh, which is full of resources in the form of oils, uh, uh, chemicals uh, and 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 many many other uh, uh, conditions etc. 
that we have been treating as a pollutant with the kind of analogy that it's not in my backyard. To say that this is a resource, okay, and why do we have to flush it away? You know, why can we not disrupt it that, you know, it's just 200 grams of human waste. Why can't we develop technologies that can treat this on-site, off-grid, without even flushing and without moving into the whole pollution environment, but with the purpose of, uh, you know, driving it uh, in the direction of a resource. So at the Water Research Commission, we conceptualize what you would call new initiative, this disruptive space called sanity. It's called the Sanitation Transformation Initiative that is designed to drive a new technology disruption platform that would in the future take water sanitation off the grid. And by doing that, it has several benefits for the future. And one of which I've mentioned is that it straight away puts about 50% fresh water back into the environment. You have now all decreased opportunity costs around the chemicals you use, the size of pipes, uh, the infrastructure, et cetera, et cetera. And possibly, you know, you end up that you would not need a sewerage system, okay, uh, in the future. And whatever sewers are there can be repurposed as urban reservoirs, you know, to store stormwater, et cetera. And that starts changing the whole game plan for the future around megacities to start becoming more self-sufficient and live within their own water footprint rather than trying to get water further and further away to move human waste safely away from, 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 from settlements and households. And, and, and as you move further and further away, the cost and the complexity of getting water increasingly uh, and exponentially becomes very, very expensive and more expensive for the poorer and the more marginalized uh, sections of the population. So sanity represents that disruption that we're aiming to get to. I mean, that is incredible. I think we're all somewhat familiar with these, you know, composting toilets, things that you maybe have at a cabin in a very off-grid situation. But I am curious if there are other, if there are convergence of more maybe more modern technologies or areas of innovation that are all coming together to create a more advanced toilet. I mean, you mentioned microbial degradation of waste product. I could imagine a genetic engineering. I certainly could imagine a variety of sensors uh, that within some internet of things or some, you know, more uh, advanced uh, tech device for a toilet, but are there is there a convergence or any enabling technologies that you see coming online that can take something as quite simple as a low flush toilet, but then really make it a dynamic and um, you know useful appliance? Yes. So you know, over the years, and and you know, we have to be grateful for the Gates Foundation and their reinvent the toilet uh, initiative in actually triggering a whole plethora of activity and interest in the space. That, you know, in a short space of time, we are starting to see the first generations of solutions emerging. Now, through that learning process and, and you know, just to put in perspective, 
we've come from a history where we've used biological processes to treat human waste and pollutants in general. And and that's a slower process and, you know, it selectively only removes certain things that we want. But as things are becoming complex, etc., and like I said, that here's the opportunity of harvesting urine and from the urine, harvesting phosphates and nutrients and all those kind of opportunities. This is a new opportunity that we're starting to see and emerge. And, and the technologies that are evolving are shifting away from those kind of biological process to physiochemical process. So things that use incineration, things that use pressure, uh, things that use uh, you know, huge carbonization processes and, and heat processes that offer us the opportunity to very quickly in the control process using modern instruments and, and you know, the more 4IR instruments and telemetry and sensors, etc., to treat human waste at the generation source very, very quickly and safely. And, and some of the examples we're seeing, things like modern pressure cookers that can take human waste, in, and, and that's carbon, and convert it into biochar, which is like charcoal, in, you know, like 20 to 30 minutes in a very controlled heat process. So, so those are what we're seeing transitioning. Now, taking you back to the question you asked about the lower flush systems. So, you know, the... the the behavior change that needs to happen, you know, in the modern world is going to take a long time. And if we are going off the grid, we would not want people to completely shift into the modern sanitation systems that are emerging. So there's pedestals or there's what we call the front end that people are used to uh, that, you know, use actually no water. There's your vacuum and your suction systems that you see on planes, etc., are the modern-day waterless systems. But we are introducing lower flush systems uh, that flush at one liter, and even now trying to push the barrier to even lower systems, etc., so that what happens behind your house is that the reactor becomes smaller and smaller, and the footprint of the technology becomes smaller and, and easier to treat and requires less energy because energy is, you could call the opportunity and the Achilles heel in, in this modern systems as we're transitioning. So trying to manage the energy equation is very, very fundamental to us to emerge with a technology that can be affordable and low cost and useful uh, and, and can be mainstreamed in the sector. Hey mom, first things first, thank you. It's my one year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help, and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you, mom, Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost. You can make money the hard way becoming a bullfighter. Ah! 
Or save money the easy way with Xfinity Mobile. It sure beats making money as a human cannonball. Now through March 21st, learn how existing Xfinity customers can get a free line of unlimited intro for a year when they buy one unlimited line. That's hundreds of dollars in savings on your wireless bill. Visit XfinityMobile.com today. Restrictions apply. Xfinity Mobile requires Xfinity Internet. Reduced speeds after 20 gigabytes of usage per line. Data thresholds may vary. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. You were involved in the establishment of PC-305, which is an important validating tool for new sanitation technologies. And I, of course, am definitely of the school of what gets measures gets managed. But this particular tool, PC-305, can go beyond that to set a benchmark, to set um, you know, a grading scale that could be very useful in a sanitation marketplace, if you will. Maybe talk about your involvement there and, and what you hope to achieve with the PC-305. So, you know, again, the PC-305 was a very uh, strategic and, and foresighted uh, initiative. And to give you context again, is that most standards around products are written when the products are developed, okay? And, uh, you know, the, the, the working group and around the global practitioners, et cetera, that had interest in this area saw the need with this foresight to develop a standard that offered uh, a protection uh, to the consumer in the future around safety of the products that would be generated. So this is one of the few rare occasions where a standard has been written futuristically on a desirable product that would have good performance and protect the consumer. But it's also designed to shape the industry and the developing development of the industry towards a set of products that would meet expectations and health and safety standards. So, you know, it, that's the uniqueness about the ISO 305, that it positions the development and the innovation pathways in this new sanitation off-grid market space to develop products of high standard that have high performance as well as have high health and safety requirements, you know, rather than doing it retrospectively to say, here is a set of products, uh, now can we write a set of standards to accommodate them? No, we've set the bar of what the technologies should meet in terms of pushing and disruptive, disrupting this whole sanitation space, because tomorrow this is going to become what we call the appliance of the future. And we want to ensure that it has all the requirements that meets the health and safety needs at a household. So just on a high level, on what metrics or what domains 
are certain sanitation technologies graded upon? And are we to expect in the future that we might uh, buy a new uh, toilet system or a faucet system and get an quote unquote energy efficiency rating like we might get today on a, on a hot water heater? That most definitely. But the important aspect to recognize around the standard is that we are working with very new processes, like I said, with physiochemical processes that, you know, have many, many new challenges around health and safety. So you know, if you have an incineration toilet, it's about flames and how do you deal with that in a building environment? How do you control the health and safety aspect? What is safe? What is etc.? So we've looked at all those aspects, but because, you know, if it's an incineration toilet, you are actually burning or carbonizing uh, human waste, etc. You're going to be releasing a whole lot of fumes and 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 gases, etc. Through those processes. So we are worried about would they be toxic? You know, how would they affect the settlements, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So we've looked at all those aspects with the foresight and with our best uh, knowledge, because a lot of these processes, uh, are, some are new, some are not new, because Many industrial processes already have been using uh, the, the, the technology processes in the, you know, in the chemical and the oil industries. We've just taken that and adapted it to a little toilet at a household level. I see. So it's almost like the, um, you know, lead energy rating or green building, you know, stamp of approval that we get here in the States sometimes. Yeah. So it's heading in that direction. So having the standard one, gives you the performance and the product marking around safety. But as we move forward and, and, and disrupt this market space, uh, you will have many more variations that push the boundary around energy efficiency. But again, where we're driving around is that it's beginning to respond uh, as well to the green building and the green technology space uh, that also fuels a circular economy pathway. You mentioned earlier in our discussion that many of these changes are going to take a long time, and it doesn't sound like they're often necessarily technological challenges, but whether you're in an urban environment or in a rural environment, there are certain either uh, financial challenges or policy challenges that make it difficult. In your mind, you know, what would be a big domino that could fall, that could perhaps acceler accelerate an adoption curve? And you could choose whether it is either a rural kind of new infrastructure setting or an existing uh, maybe urban uh, infrastructure setting. What is a domino that should fall in your mind to really accelerate the adoption curve? So, you know, I've been asked this question many times and, and I, 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 my response to it is that we're at the tipping point. Okay, and uh, you know it's it's just not sensitive enough at the moment, uh, you know, to slide down very fast. Where the big blockage is is a social political blockage, you know, behavior, and the politics around the behavior are two key factors. Now, it's a long discussion we can get into around that, you know, on the political level. You know, the politicians want to secure a lot of their industrial and market uh, advantages, etc. So too much of disruption to the industry is not in their interest. Okay. 
On the other side around behavior is that people have become too accustomed to, you know, flushing water away uh, without, you know, understanding and, and, and really truly valuing all the effort it is taking to provide that water, but also all the risks that are associated with, uh, you know, dealing with that water uh, situation. So it's where we sit in that uh, bubble that it is largely a socio-political issue and unpacking that at a national level will allow the market to flourish, will allow the technology to flourish, okay? Because industry and the market would respond to an enabling environment that is created by good policies and, and, and acceptance by the households and communities. So my analogy of this is, uh, you know, the mobile phone or even your, your iPad. And I remember as a youngster, when the iPad first came out, there was queues and queues of people wanting to get a, a slice of it early. And I think many of them have never had never felt the instrument, but uh, the desperation and the build-up around the benefit it's offered, okay, was already sold, uh, you know, before the products hit the market. So that demand and that uh, psychology grew such a way that now each household has more than three instruments on average. Okay, it's become part uh, of of a necessity at a household level. So it's the same way, you know, when when I'm asked about this question in the developing world, and and the developing world was able to leapfrog telecommunications to the poorest of the poor uh, in in their societies by you know creating the platforms and products that were affordable that there was equitable access and equitable benefits being derived from all the population you know the telecoms industry did not discriminate uh, between the rich and poor they made the facility available equitably now in the developing world when it comes to water and sanitation we still have great amounts of inequity i mean you could go to uh, nairobi and a section of the city is well built up with sewage etc and large parts of the other city is full of slums you come to south africa every city has slums india every city and mega city has slums it's because Technology had been designed in the water and sanitation environment to create this inequity and division between populations. And the political decisions were also designed to drive that inequity, to say that a poor area gets this level of service and, and a wealthy area gets this level of service. In the West, they drove a uniform level of service and they found mechanisms to deal with poverty and be marginalized in terms of accessing an equitable level of service. So I think we at that phase where, the, you know, the, the new sanitation pathway and the new sanitation technology pathway offers this, what you would call, opportunity to disrupt this issue, you know, of inequity and drive. And, and remember, when we started Sanity, the vision started on the back of closing the gap 
of sanitation to the, through two to three billion people in the world that don't have it. And where we've grown to at the moment, we're starting to see the signals that this is going to disrupt and benefit uh, the global population, you know, more wider than just poor people. And, and that would see that the technology platforms will accelerate much faster. You know, I think you're exactly right. You know, historically, policy changes and governments are reactive rather than proactive. And we even see that here in San Francisco and broader California, where water policy is being modified uh, due to necessity, right? We're, we're, we're like South Africa, a water-stressed area, have had several years of drought. Uh, it seems to be alleviated more recently. But the city that I live in, San Francisco, has enacted several water conservation, wastewater usage, rain harvesting, a variety of things, incentives for populations to to make those changes. And so Hopefully those will continue and, and um, you know, we can make an impact on, on some of these what are very important and global issues. I guess you may get this question a lot too, but is there one thing that the average consumer can do to, I guess, have a smaller water footprint or m- maybe make a small impact in the broader, broader uh, issue? Well, look, you know, uh, we're starting to see uh, globally and uh, you know, even in South Africa and coming out of Cape Town, that uh, people are beginning to value water a lot more. Uh, and, and there's a bigger realization that, uh, you know, in a crisis and a drought, it's not the drinking water that becomes a problem in the modern city. The sanitation is a bigger risk because, you know, we can get bottled water in and, and people can have enough water to drink. But if we cannot poop and flush, you know, we constipated at a nation. So that equation then starts getting people to see the bigger picture that, you know, the attention in this climate vulnerability space around looking at sanitation in megacities and and in what you would call modern cities as a big vulnerable area and risk is more and and transitioning this into this new sanitation space uh, with new technology would have a long-term benefit uh, around dealing with the climate crisis and and, and several other things. Just looking at, you know, again, on the back of that climate uh, crisis, etc., and you ask the question, and I'm taking the example around energy and how energy is transitioning, you know, uh, that, you know, a lot of households are now with, with technology, with technology, et cetera, are able to uh, go off the grid, okay, through using solar and, and other systems as a means of alternative energy sources, okay. Now, this is disrupting the whole municipal space, and, and that's the other factor is that municipalities are still locked in their 200-year-old traditions around providing services in a certain way. But as you go off the grid, it opens up a whole new service provision pathway that introduces many, many new small enterprises, big enterprises, and, and the market is beginning to shift into a new service model. So you could walk into Walmart 
and buy your panels and, and go off the grid immediately. And your service provision then comes from a whole network of service providers that don't come from a municipality. So this has been one of the challenges that municipalities have not transitioned in understanding that the future is moving in this direction as the technology is evolving and becoming available. And we will see, uh, and, and I see the future, that you know many households will be completely off the grid when it comes from water, sanitation, and electricity. And, and that's a radical picture that I see uh, that frightens me around how we should be developing institutional processes to manage that. Because I, I think from a policy and a governance and a institutional perspective, people haven't seen the bigger picture of what would happen, you know, if everyone went off the grid. Now, it's not all that frightening because there's many communities that are off the grid. So many people in peri-urban settlements and on the fringes of big urban centers live off the grid, you know, uh, having on-site water and boreholes and, and those kind of things, etc. But the future is going to be looking very, very different because, like I said, that, uh, you know, uh, the logistics, uh, the uh, the way we're beginning to use 4 r and, and uh, you know, the whole transport processes, etc., would mean that, uh, you know, we won't be requiring maybe not to shower using water anymore. Could be some kind of additives. So, you know, the future has many, many possibilities. Yeah, and I'm I'm reminded too your earlier comment just now about uh, you know in the event of a, a real severe drought, drinking water is not the issue, but it's the sanitation. And I was quickly reminded of just how quickly the New York City sanitation strike, I think it was in the mid '70s, got to a level of unbearable. <laughs> so you could imagine too, while that was that was uh, I guess physical waste, uh, you know, trash. I could imagine a very similar situation should we get to a point where our sewage systems don't work. But but Jay, this has been terrific. Uh, um, where can people find more about you and the work that the Water Research Commission is doing? So we have a community of practice uh, and, uh, you know, at the International Water Association, we've established uh, what we call a specialist group on non-sewage sanitation. So, you know, there's lots of publications and products emerging from it. Uh, the other big players in the space is the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And, and they have a wonderful resource website on reinvent the toilet. And, and uh, they're a large funder in, in driving this new sanitation paradigm uh, and uh, driving the new technology and market pathway. Uh, we have at a global level, uh, you know, new uh, partners like the Toilet Board Coalition that is uh, on the back of it opening up a pathway to a new sanitation economy on the back of this uh, new products and services that are emerging. In South Africa, the Water Research Commission, amongst uh, the few countries, is leading a national program. And, uh, you know, we've taken this to a level where uh, the new sanitation pathway is an industrial policy pathway in South Africa. So we've organized uh, to drive this 
not traditionally through a water department, but through a trade and industry process that would facilitate uh, the manufacturing pathway and the manufacturing plot platforms of the new technology, but also open up the entrepreneurial pathways for new emerging businesses at a local level that would support the operation and maintenance and servicing of the products that emerge in the future. So the Water Research Commission uh, has a website full of resources. Uh, They can get in touch with me uh, and I can put you in touch with. And there's one more institution I forgot to mention that globally we were able to set up a very new uh, international organization called the Fecal Sludge uh, Management Alliance. And, And they also contribute to pulling in the community of practice from operators and service providers, as well as policymakers. So we're slowly beginning to transition uh, to an international level. And there's great interest because we're starting to see many countries in the developing world and the developed world starting to adopt the standard, but also starting to change their policy to accommodate the pathway for this new sanitation paradigm. This is vitally important work. Thank you very much, Jay Bhagwan, for being on Inquiring Minds. Thank you, Adam, and it's been a pleasure. So that's it for another episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to hear more, don't forget to subscribe. And if you'd like to get an ad-free version of this show, please support us at patreon.com forward slash inquiring minds. I want to especially thank some of our long-term Patreons, such as David Noel, Herring Cheng, Sean Johnson, Jordan Millar, Kyle Raihala, Michael Galgul, Eric Clark, Yushi Lin, Clark Lindgren, Joel, Stephen Meyer Ewald, and Charles Blyle. Inquiring Minds is produced by Adam Isaac. I'm your host for this week, Adam Bristol. See you next week. Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application.